Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Embracing what's fun with Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080. We are officially in the holiday mood here on Spotlight Connecticut. Morgan Cunningham with you officially marking now one full year of broadcasting on Saturday afternoons from 2 to 3, Spotlight Connecticut. Can you believe it? We've made it this long. I guess that our bosses, Steve Salahady, Janine Lee, Stephanie Pearl, they're happy with the ratings, and they're happy with the podcast downloads. So I get to keep doing this for at least a while longer, hopefully forever, but nothing lasts forever. But um, no, really, I'm so happy that it's been a full year as of November 19th. That was the big launch for Spotlight Connecticut. In those earliest episodes, if you listen to them, I don't think I knew what I was doing I think I had an idea, I had a goal that I wanted to reach, but I'm feeling so much more comfortable now, and I know that some of you were there on episode number one, and congratulations to you, you've made it with me for a full year, and some of you are just tuning in now for the very first time, so whatever it is, I appreciate the listenership again on AM1080 online at WTIC.com. You're listening to the Odyssey Podcasts, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Got to get the spelling. It's on Apple Podcasts, so it's everywhere. Spotlight Connecticut. We are a variety program, and there's much more to talk about. Much, much more variety. It's endless, really. It is. And today, I do hate to acknowledge that there apparently was some kind of a short circuit. A little bit behind the scenes info. We don't always check guests from one host to the next. And I figure that most of my guests are new to WTIC, but this is an exception. If you were listening this morning, our friend Steve Parker happened to have the exact same guest that we have today, but I realized that the interviews are going to be different, obviously, and also the audiences are different, so uh, not too much of a problem, I don't think, but some friendly rivalry with Steve. We'll see who does it best, all right? Um, Peter Lyon, he's our guest. He's a Canton-based author. And from time to time, I hear from audience members, they email me and they say, Morgan, this is a story you ought to check out, uh, as was the case with Peter, who wrote a book called American St. Nick, published a few years ago. It was an effort that took him a number of years to put together and finally get released into book form. And when he got it out there, it became not only a local success, but international. It tells the story of a man who brought St. Nicholas Day to the children in Wiltz, Luxembourg, during World War II. The year was 1944, December 1944, if you can believe that. 79 years ago, almost to this exact same date. And so Peter wanted to come on and tell the story. Uh, he's been trying to get word out everywhere about it. Because when you think about World War II, at least when I think about World War II, I think about a lot of tragedy. I think about niche stories. The more you dig into World War II, the more sub-stories there are. And when you dig into a niche sub-story, guess what? There's another layer of story beneath that, and it leads to another story. And uh, I'm personally fascinated by that. And when I found out about this holiday twist with World War II, I thought that it was so unusual. I thought it was weird because it's a positive World War II story. That's rare in itself. But also it's a story that very few people, I think, up to this point have known about up until Peter wrote this book and shared it with the public. So when I got the email about a month and a half ago from a listener saying that I ought to talk to Peter, I, I figured that it was an absolute no-brainer. Peter Lyon, our local guest, Canton-based Canton based author, 
I'm excited to talk with him throughout the hour today about American St. Nick. And as a general reminder, if you have a story idea, my email is morgan.cunningham at odyssey.com. Morgan.cunningham at odyssey.com. Peter's on the way. This is WTIC in Hartford. What's going on, everyone? This is Joe from Hebron, and you're listening to Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Yes, my friend Joe from Hebron getting us back into Spotlight Connecticut. Morgan Cunningham with you. And we're talking, like I said just a few minutes ago, about a positive story to deal with World War II, which is unusual. Again, when I think of World War II, I think of atrocities. I think of the world literally at war and at odds with one another. I think about absolute heroes who fought in that war. And I think about how, unfortunately, a lot of World War II history and stories are more or less uh, becoming less common in conversation and in understanding today in 2023, largely because a lot of those people um, have been gone uh, for quite some time now, and those stories are struggling to be told from generation to generation. But this is a story of heroism of a totally different kind, American St. Nick. It's a book by Canton-based author Peter Lyon. You can find him online, peterlyonauthor.com. And about the book itself at AmericanSaintNick.com. You don't spell saint, it's just S-T. Now, the very first question people might be wondering is, who's Saint Nick and who is American Saint Nick? Hi, Peter. Could you explain? Great question, because the actual person is a man named Richard Brookins. And the story evolves because Richard was a, a corporal with the U.S. Uh, Army in the, the 28th Infantry Division during World War II. And just before the Battle of the Bulge, there was a horrific battle called the Battle of the Hurtgen Forest. Not a lot of people know about it, but it was truly an American battle. Uh, division after division was committed to this battle, and the 28th was one of those divisions. They spent the first couple weeks of November in 1944 in the Hurtgen Forest fighting. And after about two weeks, they were rotated out of that fighting and sent to the rear to rest and recuperate and, and to resupply. And they were sent to what was known at that time as the, the the quiet sector. And that was in Luxembourg. And so Richard, being part of the headquarters uh, detail, was sent to the town of Viltz, Luxembourg, which was headquarters for the 28th Infantry Division. And that's where our story unfolds, because as the uh, as they get there, they find out that the people in Luxembourg, who are now liberated from Nazi rule after nearly five years, um, are, are really sort of the, the devastated by the, the lack of resources that are, that are available to them. And upcoming, uh, in the next few weeks at that time was a celebration called St. Nicholas Day. Now, in, in, in parts of Europe, St. Nicholas Day is, is huge because where Christmas is somewhat of a, of a, it's a family holiday. St. Nicholas Day is a family plus a town-wide celebration, and it's mainly focused on children. And isn't it earlier in December usually? What it's it's the actual date is December sixth. That is the date for St. Nicholas Day, and um, what in fact there in the town of Vils they celebrate it the Sunday before St. Nicholas Day. So whatever that Sunday before St. Nicholas Day is, that's when they have their celebration, and. Um, while the, the GIs were there, there was a soldier, his name was Harry Stutz, and Harry realizes that, well, gosh, there's, they, these, these townspeople don't really have anything with which to celebrate this holiday. And he started feeling really bad about this, mm-hmm. especially for the kids. So 
he's thinking, well, this, you know, we're the, we're the army. We should be able to do something. So he gets this idea in his head that he wanted to throw a Christmas party for the town of Vils, mainly for the children. Now it would be a Christmas party for really the GIs who by this time knew they were not going to be home for Christmas that year. But really it was for the kids and for the, the townspeople to welcome in their St. Nicholas Day. And because they didn't really have any resources, Harry took it upon himself to sort of uh, create this Christmas committee by which he assigned people roles, anybody who volunteered um, to they had he had the company cooks make donuts and chocolates uh, and, and actually the they had donuts and cookies. And they melted down chocolates from their D bars that they, so they were called to make hot chocolate for the kids. And his idea was that he wanted to have a party in town. Now, in order to make this happen, he had to send this up the chain of command, and the, the, the commanding general at the time was a guy named uh, General Coda, Norman Dutch Coda was his nickname, and he thought it, the general did, that it would be a great idea, great for PR, okay. and especially good for the soldiers in the town, because again, they weren't going to be home for Christmas. So, he got all this stuff together, and he realized that there was one element missing for this party to be a success, and that was he needed somebody to dress up as St. Nicholas, because they had to show that St. Nicholas was returning to Vils after, again, nearly five years of not having this celebration. So, take a moment here to, to realize that while the Nazis were there um, and administrating the town at the time, they thought of the Luxembourg people as Germans and were uh, set about this, this re-education program. All the street names were changed to German names. Anything that was a, like a French-sounding surname was changed to a German name. Um, and it was really a re-education of the population to the point where this St. Nicholas Day was outlawed, as was their, the speaking of their native language. And that was because um, they were not German elements, and the Germans really didn't celebrate St. Nicholas Day the way the Luxembourg people did. So it was outlawed. So here come the Americans, and the Americans are like, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to throw you a party. So the people in Luxembourg were just completely taken aback by this whole idea, but they needed somebody to to dress up as St. Nicholas. So he gets the idea. I'll ask my good buddy and my roommate, Richard Brookins, hey, would you help us out and dress up as St. Nicholas? And Richard promptly said no. He didn't want to do it because he realized that from everything Harry was doing, from everything that he'd heard, that this was going to be a huge event in town that people are going to really like take to this. And he was afraid, Richard was, that he was somehow going to screw this up. It was, it was going to be something that would be mocked or laughed at. And he didn't want that kind of pressure. But... Harry was very persuasive and eventually worked on Richard to the point where Richard reluctantly agreed to be St. Nicholas. Peter, Peter Lyon, the author in Canton who wrote the book American St. American Saint Nick. One might wonder, Peter, how did you find out about this story? Like I said at the top of the program, it's so niche. How did you learn about it? I was living in Pittsburgh at the time, and I was working with a guy who, uh, his name was Terry Brookins. He was one of Richard's sons, and Terry was telling me that he was going to be going on a family vacation, and uh, and he was saying I was going to take my family to Luxembourg in November. Now, this was a while ago, and at that time, I did not know very much about Luxembourg, except that in November, it was probably going to be very cold. So I just said to him, Terry, why are you taking your family to Luxembourg? I mean, why, why take them someplace warm? You know, go to Disneyland or something. And he said, no, 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 we're going there for this thing that my dad did during the war. But I was just like, well, 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 what did he do? And he said, do you really want to know? And I said, yes. So uh, Terry gave me the five-minute thumbnail version of the story that I that I wrote about. 
And when he was done, I was I was just gobsmacked. I thought, oh my God, this is a great story. I mean, how how did we not know about this? Somebody should somebody should write a book about this. And then I said, well, hang on a second. Yeah. I'll write a book about this. Give that's me your you. dad's phone number. And that's kind of that was the genesis of this of the whole book. Exactly, Peter. That's you. You're going to write the book, Canton-based author Peter Lyon, American Saint Nick. And I've got to know how this interview with Richard Brookins went because. Let's be honest, sometimes when you go to a GI and you want to talk about the war, the good, the bad, the ugly, they're not so inclined to talk. How did you get a hold of him and convince him to do this interview? It's funny because like, I would uh, speak with Richard and, and Harry, Harry Stutz, and, and actually Frank McClellan as well, who was another key figure in the book, and and I would always ask them, to, you know, their, you know what was happening at a certain time, tell me their story, what was happening in Vils, where were they in, at, at a particular time and date. And and I have to say, like, their recollections of all these events were just spot on and just, I mean, remarkable. They remembered so much detail, especially Richard. He was just an absolute, you know, fountain of information. And uh, when I would talk to him, he would he would tell me something, tell me a detail, and then that would force me to then sort of go down, you know, a path of, okay, thanks. Uh, I, I hear what was going on at that particular day. Let's say December 15th, you know, 1944. Okay. You were in Clairvaux. Okay. What was happening at that time? And then I would have to then go and research all the factors that were happening around. What was, what was it like that day? What was the town of Clairvaux like? Who was there? Who was stationed there? Et cetera, et cetera. And it, you know, the res, the research was really, um, immersive and it took quite a bit of time to sort of ferret all that out. The actual writing of the book probably took nearly three years and, you know, and the way I was doing it, and I don't know how, this, how other people do it, but this is how I was doing it. I would write and research at the same time. So if, if Richard would say, oh, I was, you know, we, we, we got the Jeep and we went here or there, I would then research that and then I would write a little bit, then call him back up and say, hey, could you tell me about that, that element again? And he would tell me certain things again and then I would go back down and I would write. So it was really an ongoing process of the writing and researching happening in tandem. And again, I know probably a lot of people do all the research first and then, you know, compile all their facts and interviews and then maybe write. I just couldn't do it that way with this particular story. At least I didn't feel I could do it that way with this particular story. I don't know if they were excited or not to tell the story, were they? I would have to say probably a blending of both, depending on who I was talking to. Uh, for instance, with Richard, um, <laughs> just a funny side note, when I first called him up after I'd spoken to Terry, his son, and Terry gave me some background information on it, I compiled my my list of 20 questions to start with, and I finally called Richard up and introduced myself and said I was going to write a book on his story. I will, I, to, to this day, I'll never forget his reaction. It was like, he, he was, his exact words were, Oh yeah. And that was it. And I think, you know, for him, he had been since the war telling this story over and over again. So he was used to it. So here was just another name and another face and another voice saying, Hey, I'm going to tell your story. And I think he was sort of like unimpressed until I really started to like gain, you know, win him over and win over his trust. Peter Lyon, the author in Canton who wrote American Saint Nick. Peter, it almost sounds to me like what you were doing was slowly but surely talking with these guys, gaining their trust, getting them to open up to tell the story. 
I just by talking to him, just by continuing talking to him and letting him know it wasn't some fly-by-night thing. It wasn't just going to be a quick interview in, in a newspaper article or something like that and that I was genuine and I was serious about it. He, uh, he then would open up and, and, and to be, to be honest, Morgan, throughout this whole thing, when it was all done, the, the whole writing of the book was published, uh, our relationship didn't end there. We actually maintained contact, you know, right up until the time that he passed away. I would, you know, speak to him at least month, once a month. He would call me, I would call him. And so it was, it was the development of a relationship. But to, to, you know, answer your, the other part of your question is like, were some of them hesitant to talk? A couple of, uh, Frank, for instance, was a bit hesitant to talk because Frank had, um, been a POW. Uh, okay. during the latter part of the war. And so getting information out of him was, was very, uh, difficult and time consuming at first. He. And this was, is 1944 we're talking about. He was a POW in 1944. And, uh, when I spoke with him, I mean, we're, we're talking in the early 1990s, or excuse me, the mid 1990s, you know, he had, he, had, I'm not gonna, you know, basically he suffered from PTSD from his war years. So, me asking him questions was certainly dredging up a lot of those memories that he had and a lot of things he was trying to over, not forget, but to, you know, overcome his, his phobias. And so it took a while for him to really open up to me and to, and to, and to realize that, you know, I wasn't, that, that I was genuine, genuinely curious about his involvement with this story and the th- questions that I were asking him were really backgrounder information kind of things. And so then, uh, you know, again, that was a, a winning of his trust, and once that happened, and once we established that relationship, then yes, he would. He was a bit easier in, in with forthcoming with the information. Anybody who looks at the cover for American Saint Nick, a true story, not based on a true story. This is a true story. What you'll see is Richard Brookins dressed up as Saint Nick, and I have to know how was the costume made. They did not have any costumes. What the what the costume was were the priests. Mass robes for, for for saying mass, and they just borrowed them to, to dress Richard up. You know, don't forget he was in you know army fatigues. He was in you know military you know garb. So he wore this priest's mass robes. The nuns at the convent in the Viltz Castle, which was a girls' school at the time, uh, made him a bishop's mitre, and that you know he wore on his head, and he carried around a. A crozier, which is which is basically a shepherd's staff, and the most important thing was they knitted him a beard out of rope. It was knitted from rope, and he said it was this scratchy, gnarly, just just hunk of rope that he was wearing. And the hat was actually the bishop's hat was so tight that he had had a headache that during that entire ceremony because it was just it was too tight and said they didn't know they just you know they just made it. And, uh, and, and Richard, uh, will often say that except for like the very tips of his army boots, he didn't think anybody, any of the children anyway, knew that he was a GI. He knew enough, uh, German and a few words that he could say a few words to the children, um, and just ask a couple of questions. And so he thinks, like, he, he maintained that, again, he doesn't think any of the children knew that he was an army GI. I'm Morgan Cunningham at Spotlight, Connecticut, on this Saturday afternoon, talking about American St. Nick by Canton-based author Peter Lyon, online at peterlyonauthor.com. More on the way as Ann Murray takes us into the break. Spotlight, Connecticut, with Morgan Cunningham. It was 11 days after Pearl Harbor happened. Abe Lyman and his Californians 
But the four Elton boys on vocals wasted no time in cutting Let's Put the Axe to the Axis, released a week before Christmas 1941. Well, that is a song, a time capsule in itself as we continue to talk about World War II and the most unusual story that probably came out of World War II, at least I think so, and it's the story that Peter Lyon, an author in Canton, documented in his book called American St. Nick, which is the story, a true story, not based on a true story. This is a true story about how in December 1944, a handful of very battle-weary GIs decided that they would throw a holiday party for the children of Wiltz Luxembourg. And so Peter's with me this hour. We're talking about exactly how his book came to be and, more importantly, how this story happened so that he could have a book and it's been turned into a documentary. And if you want to learn more about Peter, all you've got to do is go to peterlionauthor.com or go to americansaintnick.com. Peter, has this become a tradition? Is this something that they celebrate? And I'm not talking about St. Nicholas Day, but I'm talking about how the GIs rolled into Vilts Luxembourg and pretended that they were, in fact, St. Nick. Is that still known to this day? Is that a tradition? It has become a tradition, and it's been going on. You know, As of this year, it will be 79 years that they've been doing this tradition of St. Nicholas Day, celebrating St. Nicholas Day. What happened in 1944 with the GIs was something brand new. And so when the war ended, they decided, that the people in Vils decided that they would never forget the kindness and generosity of these handful of American soldiers that one St. Nicholas Day. So they incorporated a new tradition into their celebration. And that would be somebody from the town would be chosen to dress up not, not as just St. Nicholas, but as the American St. Nicholas. And they would recreate that Jeep procession through town. And it wasn't necessarily on a Jeep. Sometimes it was on, on, a, on a horse-drawn carriage or, a, you know, a, a, the cart of a truck or a parade floor or something like that. And, you know, as the, as the, 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 the ceremonies grew, the, 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 the procession grew bigger and bigger. And so what was a Jeep now became a parade float. So that's where we see it now. Um, but that was one thing that, that was brand new. So they, their way of honoring these soldiers was to, was to recreate what they had done. So they did a Jeep procession through town, just like the GIs did. Somebody dressed up as St. Nicholas, just like the GIs did. And they had a party at the Viltz Castle for the children, just like the GIs did. And they continued that, um, that, that tradition for 30 years. Wow. After the war, unbeknownst to the soldiers who had been there originally, they didn't know any of this was going on. They did this for 30 years just to honor those soldiers without these soldiers even knowing this was happening. As the days go on, as the weeks go on, the months go on, the years go on, Peter, I just have this feeling that today's generation does not appreciate World War II history, certainly anything before that, and that as time goes on, People in general are forgetting more and more about what happened in World War II and how the war became what it became and why America got involved and how the fight went on. My question to you, and from what I understand, you have been overseas a number of times. Are Europeans aware of their history and stories like this? They truly uh, um, are grateful 
for the for the freedoms that that they you know they live with now and the cost of that freedom the blood that was spilled for their freedom they've never forgotten it and and to this day they they you know there's so many monuments that dot the countryside throughout yes. europe yes. i mean throughout you know, france and belgium luxembourg etc and and every year they will they will honor these soldiers and you know tend to their graves those who are still buried there and they will have cel- um, uh, memor- uh, commemoration memorials at these at these monuments and, and it's and it's all to remember those soldiers uh, you know the allied soldiers who gave their lives for their freedom and they've never forgotten it and they they probably never will and I, you know to your point i think it's important that you know the war was not fought on our soil yes you know hawaii was 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 pearl harbor was bombed absolutely but for the most part the war was you know did not touch uh, you know i mean these the people in europe are very uh, appreciative of all the sacrifices that were made on their behalf and they have not forgotten peter here you are you're in canton connecticut a relatively tiny place in the greater scheme of things here in the united states of america and this book not only has national intrigue here at home but international intrigue. So this book, it's made it overseas, right? Oh, absolutely. In fact, it's uh, it's been translated uh, into Luxembourgish, their native language. Um, it's also been translated into Dutch. There's a Dutch version of it for the Netherlands uh, that's that's out now. Um, so yeah, it's 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 all over the place. In fact, in 2019. Uh, I was invited by the town of Nancy, France, which has one of the largest St. Nicholas celebrations I've ever seen it anywhere. No kidding. Yeah, and they they, they brought you over. They brought me over, and and it was because that year, what what the people in Nancy do is they they have the St. Nicholas celebration, and they have a a a sister country that they invite to host with them. And that particular year, 2019, it was Luxembourg. And so in doing their research, they came across the story of the American St. Nick and said, oh, my gosh, you know, this would be perfect because the theme for this is St. Nicholas is the hero. Oh, this doesn't get any better. So they said, would you would you come and tell your story? And they actually had the documentary film subtitled in French so they could show it to numerous audiences throughout the uh, throughout the week of St. leading up to St. Nicholas Day celebration. For those of you who don't have the book but you're thinking about getting it, also don't forget there is in fact a documentary film. Yes indeed with footage. Yes, actual footage of American St. Nick. That whole situation in December 1944, there is footage. We're going to talk about that on WTIC, but I do want to mention that Peter has some events coming up December 2nd at the East Hartford Library. The World War II Legacy Foundation is going to be hosting it, and they're going to show the documentary film about American St. Nick, and then they're going to take questions, and there will be answers, plus a book signing. Peter will be there. It starts at 11 in the morning. That's next Saturday in East Hartford at the East Hartford Town Library. Admission to it, totally free. And also free is on December 5th. Now, December 5th is special. If you can make this one in Granby, oh boy, this is a special one. 79 years to the date of the original event, which, this is funny, it was also on a Tuesday. Peter's going to be there. He'll be talking about the book at the Granby Library on, again, Tuesday, December 5th. 
to mark 79 years since the actual American Saint Nick happened. How cool is that? That he's able to go do this on the anniversary. Peter will be back with us on WTIC. This is WTIC in Hartford. Hi, I'm Gemma from Ireland, and I'm listening to Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Don't you love that Irish accent? I'm Morgan Cunningham, back with you on WTIC. You can find me on social media, Facebook and Twitter, at MC News Talk. Like my page, follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter. I got to remember to do that. I'm still so ingrained in saying on Twitter. Anyway, I do want to point out that we do have some information online about our guest this week, PeterLionAuthor.com and AmericanSaintNick.com, Saint simply spelled with S-T. Peter, tell me, how did this become a documentary? A gentleman by the name of Tim Gray, who was the president and founder of the World War II um, uh, Foundation, and they're based out of Rhode Island. And I immediately picked up the phone and I said, hey, Tim, I don't know if you're interested, but Dick Brookins says he's going to go back for the uh, for the upcoming St. Nicholas the Seventh. And he said, give me the dates. I'll be there. And one of the things that, that Tim is, he is a producer of documentary films. And he returned in 2014 with me and Dick Brookins and filmed this documentary. And that's how it came about. What should people know the very first time they go to watch this documentary about American St. Nick? There's so many little things. In it. For instance, there's a scene where you see from the original film, there's a, a GI playing the guitar and he's doing it to, like to, while, while St. Nicholas is walking around meeting the kids, he's playing guitar. And, and we asked Dick, well, what song? Do you remember what song he was playing? He said, sure, I do. It was Jingle Bells because it was the only song that he knew. <laughs> and he kept playing it over and over again. So we knew that, that he was playing Jingle Bells. Unfortunately, that film, black and white film, the original film, is silent. There was no audio with it. So when they made the documentary film, they dubbed in uh, somebody playing guitar, playing Jingle Bells, watching the film and playing along and recreating. So you hear in the background the the tune of Jingle Bells being played. And so that was all these things came together for the film. And the film did win a couple of Emmy Awards. One was for music since we're talking about it, and the other one's for the uh, the scripting. The script People on. are probably curious, Peter, how did this film survive to this day? I mean, this just seems to me that it was kind of a passing event. How did this happen? There was a combat camera crew that was out on assignment that morning, that morning being December 5th, uh, 1944, which is when the actual party took place the day actually before St. Nicholas Day, and the camera crew was out, and they had an, uh, a couple of assignments they had to do in the morning, which they uh, uh, completed, and they were on their way back to headquarters, which, again, was in this town of Vilds. The cameramen were coming in on a Jeep, uh, having completed their assignments, and they are coming down the main street in town. And if they take a left off this, to the side street, they'll go right to headquarters, they dump off their film, their job is done, and that's it, they're done for the day. But as they're about to make that left turn, they see coming out of the castle, the Vilts Castle portal, something you don't see in war-torn Europe every day, and that was a Jeep with what looked like Santa Claus hanging off the back of it. So curiosity gets the better of them, and they followed the Jeep, and the Jeep sort of was winding its way down towards this boys' school that was in the center of town, and that was going to be the first stop for St. Nick. And so the uh, the camera crew followed them, and, and, you know, they get there, and, you know, one of the soldiers elbows one of the guys and says, well, what's going on? And they say, you know, well, this is a little party that we're going to do, and we're going to end up back at the Vilt's Castle. 
So the cameraman said, well, you know, we've got some extra film on the reel. Let's go set up. And they did. And they went back to the castle and they set up. And that is the reason that we have this film today. It wasn't something they were assigned to do. They just did it. They rolled on it. Spur of the moment. Absolutely. Just they thought, oh, okay, let's just let's just roll on this. And, and hence the reason why it wasn't like really cataloged properly because there was just something that was thrown on the end of the reels. Um, but I, I want to sort of like take away from that is if you think about it and we extrapolate from this story, it's like what if the camera crew arrived into town 30 seconds earlier or 30 seconds later? Would we <laughs> have had the film? And, I, and the answer is no, because they would not have seen the G. Nope. Never would have had the film. Never would have been able to have that documentary. That's amazing, Peter. Peter, we're down to the last few minutes, and I want to know your thoughts on whether or not there's a moral to the story. What's the moral here? The one that stands out to me is that the soldiers are basically ambassadors for our country. I mean, wherever they are, whatever they do, wherever they go, that's they are in some ways ambassadors for our country. And I don't think there's any greater representation of that than this story. I mean, this was a complete selfless act that these that these soldiers did they, they didn't do it for any other reason but the fact they wanted to do something nice for the kids in Vils that that day one of the other interesting side notes is that again if you look at how it came to be there was a soldier named harry stutz who was who organized this who put this all together and who made this happen harry was jewish he didn't know anything about catholicism he didn't know anything about saint nicholas in fact he had to go Ask the local priest what this was all about just to get his, to be able to wrap his arms around it. So, I mean, if you think about it in those terms that there, here's, here's this just, you know, this Jewish guy running around Vils, which is a predominantly Catholic, you know, um, town and country at that time. And he's, you know, he's doing, he's holding, he's trying to form a Christmas party, but not really a Christmas party. It's a Nicholas party for these children. And, and what he ended up doing is, you know, lives on to this very day. And again, it was just such a, an absolute, you know, just complete selfless act of kindness. I think if there's any takeaway. It's that th- that's what this is. It's like, you know, the, the, the pure kindness and generosity that, that is there. And we just all need to sometimes maybe, maybe take a step back to tap into that. You know, when you see, you know, you see somebody around you that maybe needs a helping hand, you know, just think about this story and it just kind of like, Maybe, maybe, you know, sparks you into, into doing something. You say that's the only thing I can. And Peter, what did the original GIs like Richard Brookins, what did they think about this book and the documentary, but particularly the book when it came out? They thanked me for, for writing it. And, you know, Morgan, I got to be honest with you. The whole purpose for me writing this story was because when I first heard it, I was amazed that no one knew about this. You know, we talked about what are things like in, in Europe and how much they remember the war. Um, these guys are genuine heroes in, in Luxembourg. I mean, they're celebrated heroes. And here in the U.S., nobody knew this story. There was maybe a, a pocket, a handful of people that knew of it, but that was it. And I just thought, oh, that, you know, that's a shame. What can I do to make this story more accessible so that more people can to, to learn about what these GIs did? And I, that's when I got the idea of putting pen to paper. Peter, I really appreciate your coming on Spotlight Connecticut, telling this story, documenting the history in book and documentary, and now on the radio. So how can people find this book, find out more about you? 
Well, American Saint Nick's available anywhere you buy your books. If it's Amazon or you know Kindle, you can download the uh, uh, electric version of it. It's 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 everywhere. Um, you could go to if you want to go to the I have an, a website. It's uh, you know PeterLyonAuthor.com. You can go there and you can order it. There's there's it, it's everywhere. The and, and on that website there will be links to um, the documentary film as well as uh, the. Uh, the raw 1944 video itself. So you can, you can, again, these, these books are available everywhere. Peter, thank you so much for coming on. PeterLionAuthor.com and AmericanStNick.com, Canton based author who really fell in love with the American St. Nick story. And thank God that he did because that story is documented for many more generations to come. Quite a World War II story. You know, when I was growing up, I remember hearing a number of stories about the war, at least a few of them from my grandma, Dolly. She grew up in the Depression. She grew up in World War II, born in 1928. And I just wanted to acknowledge, I wanted to dedicate this show in her memory because it was this hour, the 2 o'clock hour, on November 25th, 2015, that Grandma Dolly passed away. And I think about the lessons I learned from her unconditional love for sure. She suffered from Parkinson's and dementia in uh, the later years of her life, but I loved her nonetheless. And she taught me that nothing lasts forever and that we ought to appreciate all the time we have together when we have that time. So rest in peace, Grandma. Our hearts still keep you uh, keep you in our hearts all the time. That's what I'm trying to say. So dedicating this in her memory on WTIC. I'm Morgan Cunningham. Next week, the Casey sisters from Avon are coming on the show. They're going to be talking about all of their Christmas shows coming up. They're a girl group, five of them. Wow. Next Saturday at 2. Bye-bye. Feliz Navidad. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Embracing what's fun with Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080.